Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, February 23rd, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway stars James Marino. James, as we head into yet another weekend, the final weekend of February, sorry, February, <laughs> we've, we've discussed this before, we've got to say these things correctly, um, the final weekend of February, we've got some stuff coming up uh, in this feed that is not today on Broadway related. First on Saturday, we have Jan Simpson's latest Stagecraft podcast talking with the playwright behind the off-Broadway show Queens, uh, that is uh, Martina Mayock, who we've talked about her, her work quite a bit on this show. And then on Saturday, uh, later in the day, I'm going to have my latest Tell Me More with Ellen Marie Marsh, who is uh, <laughs> right now she's in rehearsals as a member of the cast of Pretty Woman that's going out of town to Chicago here shortly. But we spent a lot of time talking about her upcoming show at Joe's Pub, which I've got to tell you, has the craziest backstory for just about any cabaret slash one woman show that you will ever hear it is funny and terrifying and angering um, so i think you'll want to listen to that uh, on saturday and then james uh michael portantier is back on this week on broadway and he is going to be recapping his trip to washington dc in which he saw the two major concert semi-staged productions uh i think they were both at the kennedy center right and neighboring theaters uh that would be chess and west side story so i'm sure he'll have lots of lots of good uh dish to give us about those two productions and uh just a reminder that uh bernadette peter's review for hello dolly is now in the feed of <laughs> This week on Broadway. <laughs> yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna talk more about that, so it is appropriate to now have that in there. Yes, and uh, uh, I, I, I forgot my countdown clock until uh, Rachel York is going to be on Broadway soon. I don't have my countdown clock. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, she's coming back in uh, Head Over Heels, I think, because she's in Head Over Heels. Yeah. You didn't listen to yesterday's show, did you? I have not yet. I would listen to the first five minutes and then <laughs> I uh, ran out of time. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, first up in the news, you you put a show in the you put a show in the feed every day. It's hard to keep up. I I don't know how anybody ever listens to us. (laughs) You didn't just say that. All right. First up in the (laughs) news. First up in the news. Critics review Bernadette Peterson. Hello, Dolly. Uh, Yeah, finally, Um, not ahead of time and getting anybody in trouble. But yes, as we know, back in January, uh, the great Bernadette Peters joined the company of Hello, Dolly! on Broadway. She, of course, didn't join alone. She was joined by the equally legendary Victor Garber. But let's be honest, Hello, Dolly! is not about who plays Horace Vandergelder. It's about who plays Dolly Gallagher Levi. And all of the reviews are about her. And they are just as stupendous as Peter told us they would be on Sunday, then had it removed so we could say it again today. Um, Starting off, Jesse Green from The New York Times made the show a critic's pick yet again. And he wrote in comparing the show's current leading lady, Bernadette, to its previous one, Bette Midler, by saying, quote, that basically there's something is is different between the two and that something is not a stage personality filled with gregarious high spirits. Miss Peters is neither the hoyden type nor the winking type and less not at least not since her days as a self-parodying Corrine where Miss Midler wrung laughs from a line like I'm tired of from tired of living from hand to mouth, sometimes even pretending to collapse in decrepitude, Miss Peters doesn't even go for a giggle. She makes it clear that Dolly is talking about real hardships, the anxiety of work and the loneliness of a widow. 
Joe Dominowitz of the New York New York Daily News said, quote, the two-time Tony winner brings high spirits, warmth, and a voice that will make you laugh and cry with joy. Peters also announces herself as a master of the droll, uh, the droll triple take. Her playful peepers and comic timing make a moment in a milliner's shop all the merrier. Peter Marks of the Washington Post continues, quote, if Bette Midler's Dolly Gallagher Levi was a dizzying whirlwind of bite and bluster, Bernadette Peters is a gentler event, one of endearingly zany charms and touching warmth. She's the polish on Midler's brass. And finally, Frank Sheck of The Hollywood Reporter said, quote, speaking uh, speaking of Peters specifically wrote, quote, that's because the veteran two time Tony Award winning performer has brought a poignancy to the production that wasn't quite in evidence with her predecessor, Bette Midler. Midler was a powerhouse presence, to be sure, bringing to the part all of her star wattage and formidable comedic chops. Her starring turn, which resulted in salad performances and huge box office grosses, became instantly iconic. But you never felt as much concern and tenderness toward her dolly as you do for this one, meaning Bernadette. Now, James, uh, we talked earlier. I guess you guys talked yesterday, even though I didn't listen. Um, I wrote it. I wrote the script um, that Santino Fontana will be stepping into the shoes of Gavin Creel. So between Santino, who's fantastic, Victor Garber, who's a legend, and Bernadette Peters, who is almost in a league unto herself, it, it I just don't see how there could be a more joyous production on Broadway to go and see. When I saw it with Donna Murphy a couple months ago, it was just the most warm and wonderful, fun, enjoyable show that I'd seen in a long time. And it sounds like that's continuing in earnest over at the Schubert Theater. I can't wait to see this because I'm such a huge fan of Bernadette and uh, and uh, I loved this show, as I talked about mm. uh, back when it first opened, that uh, Bet was great, but the whole show itself is just phenomenal, and the ensemble and everybody else involved with it, it's such first-class work, uh, and I'm assuming none of that has changed. It's only gotten better, and, uh, and so uh, everybody, get your tickets, and as I said before... Better grosses than bet. Ready? We'll see if so, that comes true. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But <laughs> it's just you got a dream. Got a dream. Got a dream. Pass the. You got. You got to. Grosses aren't worth anything. They're kind of like manure. They're not worth anything unless you pass them around to other people. Mm. No, that didn't work. That's yeah, right. That didn't work, yeah. I tried. Okay, let me try here. <laughs> So I was very excited to hear the news today because I'm wearing my BVDs. Oh, Jesus. No? No, no that was worse. Mine was better. Okay. Yeah, that was worse. Okay. So, James, you were, of course, talking about the Broadway stars joining Jesus Christ Superstar Live. And I have to admit, James, you were wearing your choice underwear. Um but while I knew about one or two of these smaller casting announcements beforehand, the reveal of who will be playing Judas, who in my mind is really the best role in the show really surprised me. It blew me away a little bit. I was shocked. That's because after announcing that 10-time Grammy winner John Legend would play the titular superstar in NBC's Jesus Christ Superstar Live in Concert, and five-time Grammy nominee Sarah Bareilles would portray Mary Magdalene, and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Alice Cooper would be playing King Herod, I did not expect that Broadway's own Brandon Victor Dixon, 
the aforementioned BVD, would be tapped to play the New Testament turncoat Judas. The two-time Tony nominee uh, as an actor uh, for the original production of The Color Purple in 2016's Shuffle Along, I did not realize that Dixon actually won a Tony as a producer of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. He was also most recently seen on Broadway as Aaron Burr and Hamilton replacing Tony winner Leslie Odom Jr., but he's not the only Broadway star that'll be joining this NBC production. It was also announced that fellow Tony nominee Norma Lewis would be hitting Caiaphas's low notes. Tony nominee Ben Daniels will be playing Pontius Pilate. Jason Tam will be Peter. And recent M. Butterfly star Jen Ha will be Annas. Uh, Annas. Annas. I'm getting my Anna's for Frozen, which started last night, and Anna's confused. Um, also added to the cast is Swedish rock star Eric Gronwall, I think, unless there's some Swedish pronunciation I don't know. He'll be he'll be playing Simon Zealots, which is one of my favorite songs in the show as well. James, as we've discussed before, this concert will air on Easter Sunday live from the Marcy Armory in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We still don't know it ton about how director David Laveau will stage this, but we do know that once on this island's Camille A. Brown will be choreographing. So I guess it's not going to be completely like those Phantom or Les Mis concerts, which were really just stand and sings. We'll have at least some sort of choreography, even if it's going on in the back. Um, I'm guessing we'll get kind of a blend between those kind of things and the arena tour that Jesus Christ Superstar did in London and Australia and was canceled in the U.S. Um, but I would imagine we'll get something like that. But, James, I've said before that I am fully in favor of a semi-concert staging of this show because I think going with a full production could have been mucho cheesy. Um, almost as bad as your BVDs joke. So even though we still don't have a very clear picture as to how this is going to be done, I'm pretty much on board with just about every decision they've made so far. I didn't love the Alice Cooper choice, but other than that, I, I kind of love everything about this. I I agree with you. And uh, it's going to be a powerhouse of, of voices there. You know, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing who the various ensemble members are going to be uh, along the lines of the, the nuns in the sound of music, you know, we're going to be going, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, Audra's in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there, there was, I mean, Neil and, and Craig, uh, the producers, Neil Marin and Craig Zidane have often peppered these ensembles with Broadway folks. And um, obviously here, they're not even peppering the ensemble with, with Broadway folks. I mean, the principals are Broadway folks in a lot of cases, obviously Sarah Bareilles and, um, John Legend have Broadway connections, but not, you know, they're not Broadway people, but pretty much everybody else is obviously not Alice Cooper. But, you know, a lot of these other smaller featured roles really are Broadway folks, with which honestly surprised me. It's exciting. It's coming up. It's just uh, four or five, About weeks, five weeks. Yeah. Five weeks away. And uh, who knew Judas wasn't in the Old Testament? I didn't know that. All right. So uh, next up, we have a theatrical potpourri. It's a good thing you send your kids to Catholic school there, James. Uh, anyway, uh, yesterday, producer Stacy Mindich announced that Dear Evan Hansen would be partnering with Canadian producer David Mervish to present the first international production of the Tony winner beginning next year. The show will play Toronto's Royal Alexandra Theatre beginning in March of 2019. No word if this will be an open-ended run, but given the success of many a sit-down production in Toronto, mostly at 
different Mervish owned theaters. I would imagine that Dear Evan Hansen will be there for more than a little while. Of course, we already know that the show's North American tour will launch from Denver beginning in September of this year. Now, moving from north of the border to the center of the city, yesterday, New York City Center's off-center co-artistic directors Ann Kaufman and Janine Tesori announced the directors for the upcoming 2018 summer season. Helming Jason, helming Jason Robert Brown's iconic song cycle, Songs for a New World, from June 27th through 30th, will be one of the great directors working on or off Broadway right now, Kate Wariski. Ken Russ Schmoll will be uh, directing Steve Kosen and Michael Friedman's Gone Missing on July 11th and 12th. Um, he's probably most known for directing off-Broadway's The Invisible Hand. And then finally, the legendary Savion Glover will direct and, of course, choreograph Mickey Grant and Vinette Carroll's radical 1971 musical Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, which will run from July 25th through the 28th. Thomas Murray, who music directed JRB's Honeymoon in Vegas and Bridges of Madison County, will do the same for Songs for a New World. And Chris Fenwick will MD the other two shows in the season. Sounds like a, a pretty fantastic group of creatives for all three shows to me. Uh, on Thursday, Columbia University and Ambassador Gene Kennedy Smith announced that Junk by Ayad Akhtar was selected as the 2018 winner of the Edward M. Kennedy Prize for Drama inspired by American history. Ambassador Smith created the prize to honor her late brother, Senator Ted Kennedy, and it is given annually through Columbia University to a new play or musical of merit that enlists theater's power to explore the past of the United States, to participate meaningfully in the great issues of our day through the public conversation grounded in historical understanding that is essential to the functioning of a democracy. Along with the honor, Akhtar will receive a $100,000 reward. And finally, in this potpourri eclectic section yesterday afternoon, we learned that Tony and Emmy winner Christy Dawn Chenoweth will be kind of stepping into the roller skates slash shoes of John Lithgow as she becomes the defendant in NBC's zany true true crime. <laughs> I'm, I'm stumbling over this NBC's zany true crime mockumentary trial and error after Lithgow's Larry Henderson, not to be confused with the movie he starred in Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, he was found innocent. Spoiler alert. In the season one finale, he left the show, although I wouldn't be surprised if he popped back up. But many other Broadway stars remained with the show and will be there in season two, including Krista Rodriguez, Stephen Boyer and Sherry Shepard. Juan Perón himself, Bob Gunton, also had a recurring role in season one. And maybe he'll be back for season two. Not sure. Uh, but James, Jen and I both adored this show when we talked about it um, over at Sun Like It Pop. So having Cheno join just makes me even more excited for season two than I already was. So I wanted to throw something else into the potpourri, if you'll allow me. Uh, of course, potpourri away. Uh, you know where I'm going to spend some of my time next year? At the Philadelphia Theater Company, which uh, just announced her 2018-19 season under uh, new producing artistic director Paige Price and uh, managing director Emily Zach. They are doing Sweat. They're doing The Bridges of Madison County and How to Catch Creation. Uh, I, mm. How to Catch Creation is a, a world premiere, but uh, Bridges of Madison County and Sweat, uh, two shows that I loved. Uh, and new theater in Philadelphia and our friend Paige, who's been on Broadway radio a few times. We love Paige. Uh, 
So uh, Philadelphia, here we come next year. Cool. All right. Uh, what do we have in the recommendation section? All right. I'm going to take you on a little bit of a roller coaster uh, okay. in this recommendation section because I've got three things. The first and the last are highs and they're fun. The one in the middle, it's a bit of a downer. So uh, let's start with the first high. And yesterday, uh, Janelle Riley from Variety posted a, uh, a pretty cool Q&A with Benj Pasek and Justin Paul about the creation of This Is, this is Me, the song that's now an Academy Award nominated uh, a song from the, uh, the, uh, the Greatest Showman, talking about how that song was not only written, but how it has come to become an anthem. It's really cool. Um, there's some different videos from behind the scenes and some really cool stuff from not only Pasek and Paul, but Keala Settle uh, as well. So that's a gr great one to start with. But the meat of this section, James, that I kind of wanted to talk about was this article that came out from Michael Paulson in the New York Times yesterday um, that I think says a lot of things that's been being bandied about in conversations that I've had with folks, and in fact, including part of the conversation that I had with Ellen Marsh that'll be on Tell Me More on Saturday. Um, and it is basically how... Um, gender stereotypes are being reinforced by some of the musicals that are not only on the slate for this coming spring, but also including Kiss Me Kate that Roundabout has already announced. Um, James, as we've talked about before, talking about these things are for you and me as two straight white guys. We can't give um, a ton of necessarily nuanced opinion. Um, so I wanted to just kind of read a couple sections from this that I thought um, were either really well said or well written if they were from Paulson. But he starts off the article saying, quote, Billy Bigelow hits Julie Jordan. Henry Higgins molds Eliza Doolittle. Fred tames Lily and Edward rescues Vivian. Amid a national reckoning with sexual harassment and misconduct, Broadway is mounting a cluster of musicals this season and next that some theater go goers already contend romanticize problematic relationships between women and men. The titles are beloved. Carousel, My Fair Lady and Kiss Me Kate are classics are classics of the canon, while Pretty Woman, a new musical, is adapted from a smash film. And each of their female protagonists has her own story strength, strength that in some cases changes the men in their lives. But elements of the stories and the fact that all four productions are being directed and choreographed by men are prompting new scrutiny at this Me Too moment. In the article, uh, Paulson has quotes from a variety of people, including Carol Rothman, who's the artistic director of Second Stage, who says basically, while the music in some of these shows, especially those classics, are fantastic, but that doesn't mean that you have to spend $20 million to produce a show that exacerbates some problems that we're already having. Um, Georgia Stitt actually kind of got really kicked this off for me, the first person who I really saw talking about this season last November when she tweeted, quote, with respect to the creatives who will be employed by these projects, I will say I'm concerned about a Broadway season that includes Pretty Woman, Carousel, and My Fair Lady all at the same time. In 2017, in 2017 is the correct message, really, women are there to be rescued. She continues talking with Paulson. It's frustrating that the material people seem to want to throw their energy into is old properties where women have no 
agency. And then there's the real scarcity of women on the creative teams. Uh, she continues, and are these the shows I'm going to take my 12-year-old daughter to? Uh, James, we've been talking about trying to get Georgia on here uh, on Broadway Radio for some other things, but I would love to hear her talk more about this. And she does talk a little – she has some other quotes in the article. But one of the quotes that it just seems – I'm I, I probably tone deaf a little bit um, to this, and it maybe isn't a surprise, comes from Scott Rudin, who is obviously the producer behind Carousel. Um, and he says, talking about other than one little change to mention the fact that Joshua Henry, who's playing Billy Bigelow, is African-American. He's Other than that, he said, quote, we're going to do it as written. It's what they wrote, and it's the truth of the characters. Julie does not stand for every woman, and Louise does not stand for every teenage girl. Um, Paulson does note that uh, they did not make um, uh, Jesse Mueller, who's playing Julie Jordan, available for interview. Um, and then talking about the Me Too movement and how it relates to the show, Rudin said, quote, if people choose to look at it through that lens, that's great. And if they don't want to, that's their right. The job of a play or a musical is not to answer a question. It's to ask a question. I, I, I don't know, James. I, that's why I wanted to read some of this stuff, because I, I just don't know what to say about some of this stuff. I, I don't think that there is only one job of a player musical. I think it can do both. And I think personally that looking at the landscape of the world around you, I love these shows. I love my fair lady. I love carousel, but I, in the bigger picture as to what we're, we're dealing with, I, it does make me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm seeing both all three of, I'm seeing those two shows um, when I come to town next month, but I get it. It, it does feel weird now. So maybe I've been thinking about these properties all wrong for so many years. Pretty Women, Carousel, and My Fair Lady, in my opinion, are about defective men and how these women win at the end and how they achieve goals and and how they change the men i don't think it's about the men being dominant over the women even though you can look at that at the surface layer but maybe i've been thinking about these shows all wrong you're just you're more woke than everybody else james um no i i, I think that's absolutely part of it and i think that's ingrained in the very fiber and dna of all of those shows um but I think kind of the point is, is that in today's day and age, do we need to continue to see these shows about these defective men um, treating women poorly? Uh, you know, I mean, there's no doubt you can. I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen the movie Pretty Woman in a long, long time. So I, I don't remember a ton about that. But speaking specifically about Carousel and My Fair Lady, um, I don't think you can argue that those defective men don't treat those women horribly and why that has to continue to be um, about what gives the women some sort of um, character development is, is I think, part of the problem. One thing they talk about in the article is that, yes, of course, any piece of dramatic wow. work needs to have some sort of arc. There needs to be some sort of conflict. But why does it always have to be women overcoming to, for lack of a better term, shitty men, you know, and I think that might be more of the issue because you're absolutely right. No one's ever accused Henry Higgins or or Billy Bigelow of being the epitome of male perfection. But I think the fact that it's 
continue to have to see women deal with a-holes over and over, maybe it's time to find something else to write a show about. Hmm. I could see that point. Absolutely. Because, uh, I mean, we've also got Dear Evan Hansen, too. You know, it's it's not the exact same as these, but it's another shitty guy, you know, lying to and a woman and a family, you know, but, you know, in case of the romantic relationship with Zoe, he's lying to this, this girl basically to date her. It's another, you know, a, a, another addition in the long cycle of, of these types of things. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to have to redouble my effort to get Georgia on <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, maybe we can get Scott Rudin on too to talk about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the funniest thing you've ever said in the nearly two-year history of today on Broadway. <laughs> All right. So uh, help us out with the uh, monster section. Yes. Okay. So as I said, that low of that New York Times article, important but low, we want to finish this sh show on another high note, both literally and figuratively. And that is the release of the music video for the new ballad for the Broadway version of Frozen. As we are recording, they are probably getting close to the end of Act One. I'm expecting a text from my colleague, Alan Henry, anytime who is there to tell me how the first act went. Um, but as we talked about throughout previews they're going to be releasing one new song from the show every week and that happens on every friday so as we are talking or as you're listening to us now that can be i think they can you can download it on itunes or maybe from their website i'm not sure but yesterday they released a music video where casey levy is singing the new um the new i guess it's kind of an introspective character monologue -y song called monster where she tries to examine the I mean, if I'm, you know, spoiler alert here, it almost is kind of like Elsa's contemplating suicide, like literally, not even figuratively. Um, so uh, it's a it's a really cool song. It's a very poppy sounding song. So it'll be interesting to see how that integrates with the entire score. Um, but it will have that in the show notes, James. I don't know if you were going to play a little bit of that music or not. It's um, playing. Don't you hear it? Don't oh, yes. I'm sorry. I have yeah. to listen a little bit. Yeah. Um, but also, James, there's another article from the Los Angeles Times, and I'll throw this in the show notes, that basically went, you know, was in the theater during the final dress rehearsal. And one of the craziest things about that entire article was that, well, one, um, Kristen Anderson Lopez admitted that they ran out of rehearsal time and they're still working on polishing up the opening number. So that's kind of fun, always fun to hear that they're still working throughout that whole process. But also book writer Jennifer Lee She's dating Alfred Molina, and he's been there throughout the whole process and all this Wait, stuff. Yeah, like, huh? Like Jennifer Lee, who wrote the screenplay for Frozen and, and uh, uh, you know, and she wrote Zootopia and Wreck-It Ralph, and now she's she's dating Alfred Molina? I didn't, I mean, huh? I mean, <laughs> he could have been a good, he could have been a good Olaf, I'm telling you. But anyway, so lots of fun frozen stuff going on. I have a feeling we'll be blanketed with a sheet of ice and snow, at least in the metaphorical sense, for quite a few weeks as Frozen ramps up to its opening next month. Hey, you know who else wanted to play Olaf? 
Hey, why don't you get yes. us out of here? <laughs> Man, I'm really glad that you weren't recording when you made that observation. All right. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWMAT. And subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Jen and I will have our Wish, Want, and Will Oscars episode coming out in the next few days. I don't know if it'll be over the weekend or early next week, but we made all of our predictions and let you know what we are rooting for. So uh, check that out as you start to work on your office pools. Are you guys uh, wagering against each other again? We're not, because pretty much we think all of the same things are going to win. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it was a boring, it was a boring season of films, and it, we recorded this a week or so ago, so it was before the BAFTAs. So things might have changed if we'd done it after the BAFTAs, which are always a precursor um, to what the, they were. But coming off of the Screen Actors Guild Awards, we felt pretty we have a lot of the same ones so not doing a wager this time but i won the emmys one so i'm still technically the reigning champion so uh and how do you feel about the gold derby folks do they pick the right the good stuff um i haven't really looked at gold derby uh this season so i don't know exactly what their experts are picking but what's interesting about gold derby is they have a bunch of of experts from other sites and other places including ESPN's own Adnan Verk, who is a, an expert for Gold Derby. Then they have their editor's picks, but then they also have kind of a crowd hive mind um, where just anybody can vote. They aggregate that as well. So they have a lot of good resources. If you are looking to do some sort of office pool, Gold Derby would be a good place to go. Um, the last actually I looked at them was <laughs> I ran the Broadway World Tony's pool through Gold Derby. Uh, they have an option where you can set up your own league for these kind of things uh, as well. All right. My name is James Muno from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for wrapping up the week with us. Uh, Matt told you at the top of the show what we're doing Saturdays and Sundays, and uh, we'll talk to you back on Monday. Oh.